0: Welcome and thanks for listening to the Sermon Podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. Today's message is about something people do all the time, and many times it's because maybe life has taken a difficult turn. Today's message is all about prayer. Here's First Pres Associate Pastor Steve Page.
1: So good to see you guys. So good to hear you guys. I, I, you know, Dan and I were talking and, and we we're just like, isn't it great how, how the, the the congregation's really singing? It's just so much when you join in the worship, how you minister. It's not just the pastors of the worship team doing the ministry, but when you sing, there is so much ministry going on in my heart. So thank you and God bless you. My gosh. Well, hi, everyone. My name is Steve Page. Um, I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and it's an honor to bring the Word of God to you today. And we are continuing in our Alpha Sermon series on the essentials of the Christian faith. And today what we're going to talk about is the why and how do I pray? Why and how do I pray? Now, let me say from the get-go that even though I've been a Christian since I'm 21, which is just a few years ago... and I've been to two seminaries, and I've been in the ministry for 37 years, I'm still making the request of God, Lord, teach me how to pray. Like many people, I often struggle with what I call monkey mind. You ever have monkey mind when you pray? You know, your mind's kind of going all over. The t- you swing to this, you swing to that. You seem like to swing to everything but prayer when you're trying to sit down and pray to God. But the point is, prayer is not something that we ever become an expert at. We are and always will be, in a very real sense, always students of prayer. So, what I share today is not out of some kind of expertise, but simply it comes out of my own journey, my journey with God, my journey with Scripture, my journey with family, my journey with mentors, my journey in my own soul. And even though you know I wasn't much of a churchgoer as a young guy, I still knew by heart what we call the Lord's Prayer, which we we prayed just a few moments ago. That's where our Father who art in heaven. And I, and I mention that because it was not a priest, and it wasn't my parents who taught me that prayer. Okay, to be honest with you, it was my football coaches. Because we would pray that prayer every Saturday morning before we took the field. It was really fun to see the Jewish kids even had it down the heart. You know, it was really interesting. Now, I also prayed a lot when I found myself in hot water, which happened more than a few times. You know, I know they say there's no atheists in foxholes, But I also tend to think there's no atheist when we tend to see in our rear view meter those those blue lights of a cop car flashing behind you, right? Am I right? We all suddenly turn into St. Francis of Assisi when we see the cop lights, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. So my less than stellar prayer life aside, prayer is something that most of us find ourselves doing at some point or another. It's an almost universal instinct. In fact, it's very difficult to find people who don't pray. Uh, in a survey taken in just 2020, it showed that in a typical week, two out of three, that's 66% of Americans, pray at least once a week. And then an additional 10% pray once a month. But unexpectedly, what they found in this research was that even 14% of what they label spiritual skeptics prayed several times a week. So the point is, a vast majority of us Americans pray. In fact, the researcher says that prayer is the nation's most widely practiced religious activity. So why all this prayer? And what in particular is prayer about for Christians? Well, I'm gonna, there's a million reasons. I'm just going to name a few. And, and this is really important. The first one is this, that in the Christian faith, prayer is the language and the action of intimacy. It is meant to, to, in part, to move us into a far deeper and intimate experience with the creator of the universe. And as we all know, all, all love relationships thrive and flourish through healthy communication. The more we communicate, the more our love has a tendency to flourish. And it's the same thing in our relationship with God. Imagine if there was a married couple who got married and they rarely spoke to one another. What's their relationship like? What's their joy like? What's their knowledge of each other like? What's, what's, what, what happens to their sense of security and trust in each other if they barely talk to each other? As Pastor Tim Keller put it, to fail to pray is not merely to break some religious rule. It's a failure to treat God as God, just like just like the, the failure to encourage or praise or to express your love to your spouse or to your kids or to your friends or to your parents is a failure. It's a failure to treat them as a spouse, a failure to treat them as a child, as a friend, as a parent, etc. In other words, speaking words of love and praise and and giving our our focused attention is all a part of being, what it means to be in a healthy, healthy relationship. And that goes for your relationship with God. You see, it's not that prayer is this heavy obligation to carry out, or God's really going to be ticked off at you. But it's that God is eagerly wanting to interact with you in an intimate manner. Why? Because He delights in you. You know, there's this great verse in Zephaniah in the Old Testament. It expresses this sentiment. Zephaniah 3, and it goes like this. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Have you ever considered how much God delights and rejoices in you? And he does it with singing, no less. I mean, can you even picture that? You ever picture God singing over you? But that's what it says. How many of you men out there, as you grew up, longed for your father to take great delight in you? Can you imagine how much that experience would have impacted your life if you knew all along that your dad rejoiced and delighted in you? And this is one of the reasons why God wants us to turn to him in prayer and to be attentive to him so we can discover his delight in us, so we can hear his song for us, so he can quiet our souls as we face the inevitable difficulties and turbulence of life. And as many of you already know, you know, recently um, I became a grandfather. Last last, uh, fall, I became a grandfather. And a few weeks ago, my three-month-old granddaughter came to visit us for a vacation. And I think we have a picture of her right there. And uh, her name, her name is Frances, uh, but we call her Frankie. And I was, I was with her, and I'm preparing this sermon while I was with her. It hit me. You know, I think God enjoys you and I as I enjoy my, my granddaughter. She doesn't have to do a thing. She doesn't have to do a thing. She just needs to lay there to capture my heart. Her sheer existence brings me incredible joy. And then when she does turn to me and responds to me, as you saw that she's looking at me while I'm talking to her, and she just babbles back, and she smiles at me. What happens? The joy grows deeper still. And when my granddaughter's upset for one reason or another, I start to sing. I sing a song over her about her. I don't know how to make up tunes, so I use the very often the Muffin Man. <laughs> and I sing to her. You know, her name is Frankie, so I go... Oh, do you know my Frankie girl, my Frankie girl, my, you know, da, 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 whom grandpa loves so much. You know, and I sing this song again, and I know it's pretty dorky, but that's what happens when you turn into a dork when you're a grandfather, you know what I mean? But the thing is, when I sing over her, what happens? I find joy, she finds joy, and our relationship with each other deepens. And I think that happens as well with God. Something happens in our soul that is set right. Something gets affirmed as we spend time with God. And perhaps this is why in Matthew 6, when the disciples of Jesus came up to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, which is an odd thing because they've probably been praying as Jewish men for a very long time, but they saw something in Jesus that was different. He said, Lord, teach us to pray. And in response to their request with what we now know as the Lord's Prayer, and it's great, but because right off the bat he encourages his followers to come to God saying, our Father, not our judge who looms over us, just above us with a hammer over our head. That's not how he wants us to approach God. He doesn't want us to approach God with some other title that could have communicated how God is aloof or detached or, 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 or some kind of fearsome being. He says, our Father, the very first phrase that Jesus sets the tone and the purpose of prayer is with a word of intimacy, the kind of intimacy that's shared between a child and a parent. And just as a child draws security from a parent, draws a sense of being and direction from a parent, is empowered by the parent, because of the parent's attention and interaction with them, so too a Christian at prayer gains all those things from the Lord Himself. So that's one reason for prayer, intimacy. Another purpose for prayer is realignment with God. Realignment with God. Praying is taking time to realign. Now life has a way of, of altering our alignment with God very easily. Sometimes it comes from a very sudden or very powerful jolt, like being laid off from a job, or getting very sick, or maybe losing a loved one, etc. But most often, most often, misalignment happens with slow erosion, the result of frequent small actions over time. And the analogy I like to use for this phenomenon is wheel alignment. You know if you have your car their wheels aligned. See, when wheels in your car in, are in alignment, it means that they're, they're, they're straight. They're rolling along as they were designed to be. It's very important to understand. See, misalignment is when one wheel is kind of doing this, you know, or maybe both wheels are doing that, or sometimes both are doing this, kind of like pigeon toed, this kind of a thing. To put it another way, misalignment is when your wheels are not rolling or moving in a manner for which they were designed. Real misalignment is one of those things you don't notice right away. As I said before, misalignment happens most often by slow erosion and the result of frequent small actions over time, like hitting a little too hard, a short speed bump over there, or dropping into a, 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 short, a, 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 a shallow a pothole over there. That's how it really happens. And and you can notice if you're out of alignment by letting go, if you're on a freeway, you just let go of your your steering wheel a little bit, and what happens? It's going to start drifting this way, or it starts drifting that way. That tells you you're out of alignment. Or you can look at your tires, and the tires are unevenly worn out. And some of us, when we feel the drift, or even when we look at the tires and see them unevenly worn out, we just, well, we just kind of ignore it. We tell ourselves, well, you know, yeah, it's not great, but it's not horrible. So it's okay. Ever say that about your alignment, about your tires? Do you ever say that about your marriage? Do you say that about your relationship with your kids or your friends or the impact you're having at work? Do you say that about your own soul? Yeah, it's not great, but it's not horrible. So I'm okay with some misalignment. But here's the thing about misalignment. Misalignment is never okay. Because misalignment is never a static situation for your car. Every time you go to use your car after it's misaligned, it continues to steadily, albeit subtly, move down a certain pathway. And that pathway is never towards improvement. It is always a move towards degeneration and instability. The point is, without proper alignment, there's always a cost. For example, it costs a little extra gas for your car because you're not working as efficiently as it should. Eventually, it costs you extra tires because they're wearing out faster than they should. And most importantly, it costs extra wear and tear on other parts than your tires, because now, which parts, by the way, which are way more expensive to fix than just the alignment alone. In other words, being misaligned moves from just a single problem to now compound problems. So, in the end, we end up unnecessarily wasting all kinds of money, all because we did not spend the effort of getting our tires realigned, aligned as they were designed to be, and this is exactly what happens with our lives with God. To be misaligned with God is never a static situation in a spiritual journey. Every day that goes by when we are in some sort of misalignment, we ipso facto move in a direction of soulful degeneration and instability. A life where we waste, we waste our time, we waste our efforts and our energy, we waste our purpose in life, And we damage our closest relationships. Bottom line, when we disregard our alignment with God, we are a blowout waiting to happen. Bottom line, when we disregard all this, it's not just like small things. We have a compounded problem. Now it's not just a problem which is one person. Now it's your family. Now it's with your job, et cetera, et cetera. See, daily prayer is like getting that daily realignment job. In other words, when we pray, we open up our soul to God's input, to God's direction, to God's correction in our life. For example, if you don't take time to align how you feel with with God's alignment, how he feels about your cranky coworker, what starts to happen? What starts to happen? Watch bitterness start to set in. Watch resentment start to set in. And watch how it degenerates your relationships with them. Or when you don't take time to align how you feel about people on the left or the politically right with the way God feels about the people on the left and the right. Or or, or align how you feel about vaxxers and anti-vaxxers with the way God feels about vaxxers and anti-vaxxers. What starts to happen? Do you start to love them more? Do you start to value them more? Or does something start to degenerate. And you can see where this all ends up. It not only ends up in a divided society, but it ends up in a divided church, a divided family of God. You see, prayer opens our eyes to the reality of what God sees. It opens our eyes that there is more to a person than their ideologies, that there's more to life than what the news tells us. There's more to life than the distractions that the the media throws at us. There is more to life than your deepest loss or your darkest fears. Simply put, prayer attunes us to the more. The first step towards realignment is being honest about what's misaligned. And this is why, in part, the Christian faith has forever uh, emphasized prayers of repentance. See, repentance is not about beating yourself up. In a word, repentance is about waking up. It's about coming to your senses to see things as they really are so that you can commit yourselves to live into the way things ought to be. Think of how much pain we have caused ourselves and others because we have been too stubborn to repent. That is, too stubborn to rethink and realign and rebuild everything in our lives and in our relationships on the basis of Jesus. Think about what happens when we don't wake up to the wrong we said or the wrong we did and fail to ask for forgiveness. Think of how often a lack of repentance leaves in its wake a damaged relationship that might have been a gift from God Himself. You get the idea when we don't repent. And all of those things are corrosive and destructive to our souls and relationships. And that's why Jesus calls us to repent in our prayers. Because when we do, people and communities and relationships and nations will thrive as God intended. Now, here's a short prayer that can help you in your alignment and repentance factor. It's from Psalm 139. I pray it very, very often. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me. And know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. That is a great prayer to pray on a regular basis. Now look, one last reason about why uh, prayer is so very short. Prayer is crucial because it characterizes Jesus his entire life. His entire life, even till the moment he died. Even as he hung on the cross, he prayed. He prayed for his killers. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. On the cross, he prayed in anguish, a feeling forsaken. And then in Luke 23, it says, Then Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Right to the very end. Jesus was a person of prayer. The point is, prayer is part and parcel of being divine, much less being human. And if he needed it, folks, there's a good chance you and I are going to need to do it as well. Okay, so that's just a few important reasons about why we should pray. Again, there's many more we could talk about, but we need to move on about how. How do we pray? Well, look, you can fill a small country with all the books that teach you how to pray. There's plenty out there. So I'm just going to offer a few things. Okay, three of them are this. Here, keep it real, keep it simple, and keep it going. All right? So keep it real. Keep it real. When I first became a Christian at 21 years old, I, and you might be surprised to hear this, I had a very coarse way of speaking. And, and if it wasn't, you know, for my not-so-Christian words that I'd often use, then it was because of my Jersey accent, because it was so thick in those days. And, and, and I became a Christian at 21, and the students at this campus ministry, of which I belong, loved, and I mean loved, point, t- pointing out on a frequent basis how much I sounded like Rocky. Now, I would I would kind of laugh along with them, ha ha ha, you know, this kind of. But inside I'm thinking, wow, I sound like Rocky. Rocky sounds like a moron. I'd sound like Rocky. So I would try to speak I would try to speak more you know, eloquently and properly and all that kind of stuff. Well, in those early days as a Christian, as a friend of mine, this guy around my age, he started to mentor me in the ways of the Christian faith. And one day we're talking story, we're in his truck, and we're talking about our future, what God maybe wants us to do. And he says, you know what, why don't we pray about it? So we bow our heads in prayer. He prays, and then I pray, and I try to do it as properly as possible. And when I said amen, he just looks at me and he goes, what's up with that? I said, what do you mean what's up with that? He says, that that wasn't you praying, that was like some other guy. He says, besides, what do you think? It's not like God's standing there thinking, wow, Steve, that was impressive. (laughs) Loving rebuke, yeah? Well, let me tell you something. That loving rebuke radically changed the way I was going to pray for the next 40 years. For the next 40 years. You see, prayer, and when we come to prayer, we're to be completely open, honest, and real with God of who we are. We need to pray where we're at, not who we're supposed to be. And it's difficult to move closer to God, especially when life gets really agonizing when we do it with this kind of pious pretense. I say that because, because sometimes real, raw, effective prayers are ineloquent. Sometimes they don't flow out with coherence, but they stumble out of our mouths in a disjointed manner. Let me show you what I mean. One of the Psalms in the Old Testament, the writer wrote this in Psalm 6. It says... Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am faint. Oh, Lord, heal me, for my bones are in agony. My soul is also struck with terror. While you, O oh, Lord, how long? You can just hear the spiritual and emotional trauma, can't you? As well as his wrestling with his disappointment in God. God, are you going to be there for me? Lord, where are you? How many of us have been in those exact feelings? What I really appreciate here is the awkwardness of the grammar in verse 3. It, 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 the sentence itself feels incomplete. It feels twisted with discomfort when he says, My soul is struck with terror. Well, you, O oh Lord, how long? He's missing words there, folks. Look, reality can be very crushing at times. And it can puncture our coherence about life. And it can leave us dazed and confused and, and, and sounding completely tongue-tied and incoherent. And that is exactly where God wants to meet you. Not in your big flowery words, but in what it's really all about. Famed writer C.S. Lewis summed it up well when he said, pray to God what is in you, not what ought to be in you. Get in touch with what is true in your life and bring it to God. Keep it real. Second thing, keep it simple. You know, just because you may pray long doesn't mean you've prayed well. The Lord's Prayer, depending on what version you look at, the Lord's Prayer is like 57 words. I take 57 words to say hello in the morning. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) 57 words. Even if you recited it slowly, what does it take you? Less than a minute. You know, and that, the iconic speech, the Gettysburg Address, they said Lincoln delivered it in two minutes. Two minutes. The point is, more isn't necessarily better. So keep it simple. That being said, I I don't want you to get the idea you you can say bad prayers or something. See, when our mind and soul is in a good place, there's no such thing as a bad prayer. There may be long prayers. There may be funny prayers. There may be boring prayers. There may be inarticulate prayers. But they're not bad prayers when our hearts are in the right place. As Richard Foster once wrote, in the same way that a small child cannot draw a bad picture, so a child of God cannot offer a bad prayer. You know, I remember when my son was really small when he was in Sunday school, just a little, little kid. And he showed me a picture. He came running out with a big smile on his face. And he says, Dad, look at this, look at this, look at this. And I said, wow, Caleb, what a great, what a great fire truck. He says, no, Dad, it's a dinosaur. Oh, yeah, what a dinosaur. That's an awesome dinosaur. Good job, Caleb. Now, what do you do with that dinosaur that looks like it was done by Picasso with a really bad hangover? What do you do with that thing? Do you tear it up? Do you throw it away? No, you put it on your refrigerator so the whole world sees this distorted dinosaur that your son made. The point is, God doesn't ignore our prayers either when they are the best we have to offer, however lousy they sound. So you don't need to sound like St. Jerome when you go to prayer. Just keep it simple. Third thing, keep it going. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing. Now, what I don't think he means, that you go around walking the sidewalks, like saying the, you know, 23rd Psalm of the Lord's, for, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in one, and you just mutter it, mutter it, mutter it all, all day. That's not what he means by pray without ceasing, okay? Doesn't want us to look weird. I think what he means in part here is that you walk through your day with attentiveness to God and a real attentiveness to yourself, and, and you pray about all sorts of things as they occur uh, in, your, in, your, in your day. Simply put, prayer is meant to be integrated with everything, with everything we do, from preaching the gospel to finding a parking space. And it needs especially to be integrated when you have those very difficult negative emotions arise. Let me give you an example of just the other day. My brother passed away last fall, and I've been appointed as the administrator of his estate, and it's my duty to pay my brother's bills. So I called up one of the insurance companies that he has, and I asked them one simple question. One simple question. How much does my brother owe you? Well, two days and 10 people later, no one could answer my question. I got transferred to like 48 different departments. I was put on hold longer than the war in Iraq, okay? And then, then the 10th person who was on the phone with for an hour and seven minutes, dropped my phone call. Didn't call me back, just dropped it. Well, I was fit to be tied. And my wife heard me express myself. <laughs> and she tried to calm me down, but I was just too, <laughs> too upset. So I said, look, you know what, sweetie, I need to go pray and meditate for a while. So I, I literally, I, I'm trying to practice what I preach, right? So I went and prayed and meditated. Okay. <laughs> However, I was so uptight, my, I would say, oh, Lord, oh, those idiots, you know, oh, Lord, what's wrong? you know, I just, I was all over the place, all over the place. So I said, you know, I'm just going to pray the Lord's prayer. Just have a written prayer and just pray that. Okay. You know, so I went into, you know, our father who art in heaven, etc." And I got to that part where I said, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And I just wanted to stop right there. And I let it drill down on my angry soul. And I thought to myself in my anger, gosh, you know, those service reps, they're indebted to me. They owed me. They owed me answers. They owed me service. They owed me at least a call back when they dropped it. They owed me big time. I really thought that. And then then I started to try to align my heart aright with God. And I thought about my debts to God. And when I finally saw my own debts in light of God's heart, It's amazing how fast I let go of their debts in my own heart. And my hot emotions immediately cooled off. You see how that happens? When we're real in prayer, when we repent in prayer, when we try to get aligned in prayer, life really does get better. So I guess the last question to wrap it up is this. Does God always answer prayer? Yes, he does. But like a good parent, he doesn't always answer yes. When my dad was about eight years old, back in the 1930s. He went up to his father, my grandfather, and he said, can I drive the car? (laughs) And he swore he could drive it at eight years old. And my my grandfather said, no, no, no. And what my my grandfather meant by no was not yet. You're not ready to handle this, okay? But here's what happened. My father and his younger sister went out to the car to pretend drive. So they got in the car, and he's starting to pretend to drive, and he reaches or he presses down on the uh, 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 parking brake. And he starts to roll out of the driveway, rolls across the street and into the house that was being newly built. He had a bunch of wall studs and columns and the house comes crashing around him. I mean, they were lucky to get out alive. Look, sometimes what we desire, we think is the right thing, but it can lead to a lot of stuff crashing around us. Like when I always want to win the lottery I swear I'm going to be the guy who's different, who's going to not go screwball with the money. You know? I always think that. Of course, I never played a lottery, but still, you think that. <laughs> but sometimes, you know, we, the, the thing is, we, we can lead to a lot of stuff crashing around us simply because we may not be ready to handle the other side of yes, just like my father was not ready. And this is why we get a no or a not yet. Or to put it another way, some of our desires and prayers come out of a disoriented heart. For example, say we struggle with blind ambition, and there's a position open at work that you really want, and you pray, you pray, oh God, please pray, pray, and you don't get it. And so you conclude, well, it's official. God's not on my side. God obviously doesn't love me. When the reality might be that he's so on your side and he loves you so much that he wants to rid your soul of the crushing and polluting work of blind ambition. So try this out when God says no to you in your prayers. Try asking him, okay, Lord, there's a no here. So what else are you working on? Something deeper in me. Lord, show me what you're working on. Now look, I'm going to be the first one to admit that sometimes when the no's happen, the no's that happen, I will never understand this side of heaven. heaven. Like when good people suffer so greatly. I'll never understand it. And believe me, I plan to talk to God about it when we're face to face. But over the years... I've learned this truth that something that Christian writer, Dutch Christian writer Corey Ten Boom once said. She said this. When the train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and you trust the driver. May you find faith in prayer to trust the driver when you go through your own dark tunnels of life. I just, I just love those lyrics, you know, the tears of shame for what's been done, the silence when the words won't come are better than a hallelujah sometimes. We pour out our miseries, God just hears a melody. Beautiful the mess we are. The honest cries of a breaking heart are better than a hallelujah sometimes. Can you relate to that? For those of you... Um, who have never given your life completely to Jesus, but something we've sung today, something we've said today has is, is hit you and you sense that it's time to give your life fully to Jesus Christ. I want you to close your eyes with me right now. Everyone, let's just close our eyes, bow our heads. And for those of you who want to just pour out your broken heart and bring even your muddled words to him, to give your life fully to him, Just repeat this this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I need you. My life is so misaligned. Forgive me for ignoring you. And thank you for your love for me. And as best as I know how, I commit my life to you. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you just prayed that prayer with me, and that's the first time you've given your life to Christ, or if you recommitted your life to Christ, if you're at home, just hit in the chat area that button about raise your hand. And, and we want to have someone to meet you in a private chat area to pray with you, to celebrate with you, and to help you now launch off this new, great, wonderful journey you have with Jesus. If anybody here is in the sanctuary and you prayed that prayer with me, please, you know, come and, and, and let me know or let one of the staff members know we want to pray with you and celebrate with you. After service, we will have prayer, right? We're still having prayer? Yeah, outside those doors back there, in the back, uh, uh, online, you can still hit that prayer button and pray with folks online. Um, And don't forget that we have our Alpha groups right after service, so you can hit that button there in the chat area if you're at home, and some of our Alpha groups, for you folks in the sanctuary meeting here, even if you've never joined the Alpha group yet, these are all open groups. So if you want to join, please come and, and, and join the party in the Alpha group and discuss what we've learned about and felt today during this service. And and I finish with this. We're going to finally have some coffee together. Yes. Amen. Man, they're doing a hallelujah right here, right now. Okay. Um, out in, in this door way in the corner out there, there's some, there's some cocktail tables out there, and we're going to be serving coffee and fellowship. You know, just hang out with each other, talk story with each other, um, what have you. Uh, just enjoy, enjoy the morning. All right. Anything else I need to say? If not, please receive it. Why don't we stand and please receive this blessing. May the God who hears the melody when we pour out miseries and who embraces the mess we are as a loving child, may he fill you with a sense of his presence this week. And may he use you to be his hands, his arms, his ears, and words to a broken and misaligned world. May you show them what a good life in Christ is all about. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be all the glory. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, God bless you, thank you for being here. You folks at home, aloha, and we'll see you next week.
0: God loves to hear our prayers. They don't need to be fancy or eloquent. God just wants to hear your heart, because when we pray, We create an intimate relationship with Jesus. If you want to catch up on or re-listen to previous services, you can find past sermons on our websites, fpchawaii.org and thevinehawaii.org. You can also find First Prez sermons on most major podcast services and now on YouTube. Good news! First Prez is back to worshiping in person. Services are Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. at the Ko'olau Campus. And of course, the services will also be streamed live online at fpchawaii.org and thevinehawaii.org. Remember to sign up on the website for First Prez emails, for links to sermons, daily devotionals, church news and updates, and lots more. And as always, if there's anything First Prez can do for you, please reach out through the website or just call 808-532-1111. For Senior Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Prez, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you, stay safe, and thank you for listening. This sermon podcast is copyright 2022 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu.